Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. And an interception, and you're not down by 10 anymore. Andre Howe, his second interception. To get you the information that you need is to you start your own business and do your own thing. And I felt like it gave me a good perspective. I was not the first person to go through what I went through. All right, welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Pope. Andre Howe. Awesome, man. We got another uh, episode. Great guy. You know, we're going to dive into his story, find out a little bit about his path in sports. Uh, so with no further ado, we want to welcome to the podcast. Billy, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate it, fellas. Appreciate you guys um, having me here. Uh, my first podcast, so... I'm humbled and honored to be uh, on this this uh, podcast. I appreciate you guys. Absolutely, man. So uh, the premise of the podcast is uh, pretty simple, man. We like to uh, dive into the background of guys and figure out how they were able to uh, make it to the place that they was they made it to, whether it be professional sports, college. We just like to really like to tell the journey, right? We want to be able to um, give insight to those individuals that are following behind. So. Uh, it's you know we're just gonna dive right into it. So we would just want to start a little bit of, from your beginning. Let's start from where you from, what it was like growing up there. A little bit about your family. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Queens, New York. Uh, a little bit of time in Brooklyn. I gotta represent Brooklyn. <laughs> um, but I grew up with my mom, my dad. Obviously, you know, the common story was not there. Um, so I grew up with my three brothers. My older brother's five years older than me. My younger brother was a year younger than me, and then my other younger brother was two years younger than me. So just the three of us in the house, plus my mom, uh, grew up in Southside Jamaica, Queens. So we lived in Laurelton for about maybe 13 years, then moved to Queens Village, also known as Shadyville, as they call it. Um, and that was about it. We just, you know, typical kids, just playing around the block. Um, didn't know much about sports then. Kind of taught myself just watching TV, watching Jordan, um, Allen Iverson, those guys, and basketball was the thing I loved. So, 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 yeah, so let's just talk a little bit about your introduction to sport. What was the first sport you kind of, kind of, that you really got involved in and kind of what led to that? I think it was, you know, some of my friends on the block, they were part of, like, travel teams. Like, the Rosedale Jets was a team that they were part of or um, the Junior Knicks program that the YMCA in New York had. And they would play on the block. We, we didn't have a hoop, so it was like a crate. We're just shooting baskets on, you know, until the lights come on. We got to go inside. Randomly, someone bought us a, a, a hoop, portable hoop, put a little water in there, and now so I'm interested. Yeah. And I'm, I got the Michael Jordan DVD somehow. I forgot how I got it. I started watching that and just listening to Michael's story and how he used to train and his brothers beating up on him, and he just kept on being competitive. So my mom used to, was a, still is a certified nurse assistant at CNA, mm-hmm. at nursing home. So she ended up going to work. She worked at night, but she's also working in the daytime. So as soon as she go home or go to work, I'm up at 10 o'clock at night, after watching Jordan DVD, 10, 12 o'clock at night in the basement, just dribbling, just working, eyes closed, right head, left head, uh, so I could compete against my my comrades on the block because I got tired of getting beat. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't make a left-hand layup, right-hand layup, couldn't shoot, nothing. I was just athletic. I could just jump. So um started training, doing that, and all of a sudden I started realizing I enjoyed training, so I started training my brothers. This is how you shoot. Lock your elbows, bend your knees, follow through, eyes on the target. I just have fun with it. It's just natural. Now, New York being the basketball capital, man, it's almost like a rite of passage to kind of get in basketball in New York, just with the history of basketball in New York. New York is just, I mean, again, big place. You're talking about, you know, uh, just it just, 
you know, for me, I know from Miami, my perspective of my of New York was, you know, music, athletes, just a high life. Mm-hmm. Dre, let me ask you, being from small town like mm-hmm. Port Allen, what was your perception or your perspective of New York growing up? Man, just like you say, big town, bro. Like I'm from a small city, man. Like I know everybody in my city, pretty much everybody in my city. We all we all might be kin, so. <laughs> Right. Being like thinking about New York, man, I'm like, man, that's like that's a big city, bro. Like, I don't know what to do with New York. So I actually went I went one time, my ex-girlfriend was living out there. I was like probably 20, 21. And I went out there, bro. I'm like, man, this is really how it is. Like, these buildings really this big. Like, they got taxes yeah. everywhere. Everybody yeah. blowing their horn. Like, why am I blowing their horn? <laughs> yeah. And it was it was like the real life. Like, you know how I seen on TV, it was just like that in real life. I'm like, man, this is crazy. I can't live up here. <laughs> it's it's fast paced. Yeah. You kind of see everybody moving, moving around pretty fast and um, it's the hustle and bustle, man. It's like a real grind. Like, you know, at least that's my perspective of mm-hmm. New York. Like, it's tough, man. Cold winters, you know, it just make, it just, it the whole look of it. But in particular, Queens. Queens is legendary. You got, you know, guys like Russell Simmons, Ron DMC. You got the 50 cents. You got, as far as basketball and sport guys, the Lamar Odoms, the Ron mm-hmm. the Test. Kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, individuals that was from where you from and kind of maybe some of the stories and, and things that you that you heard and saw growing up. I didn't play too much of the AAU ball, but that circle was very small, as you guys know, like playing sports, whether it's football, basketball, that's, that circle's small. So, like, um, Ron Artest's brother, Daniel, went to my high school. So, like, we were always, like, Kenny Anderson's kids, LL Cool J's kids. Like, somehow you know somebody through one other person. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, a very small-knit community, even though New York City's big, but, like, in one community, whether it's basketball, hip-hop, whatever, like, everyone kind of knows each other. Um, so like so like for us hooping on the on the block it's like all right well I'm going to this tournament to play you know I ran into Daniel Artest he was supposed to be Ron Artest's brother everyone's thinking that he's gonna be the next big thing or Sebastian Telfair you know Marbury's you know cousin mm-hmm. you, you read him in the papers he dropped fifty this last week at Lincoln he dropped sixty the next week and you playing against him at IS8, which is one of the big tournaments or at the Rucker uh-huh. you know we going to Rucker on Saturday or we going to West Four and it's, you know just playing at the park is just like part of just growing up in New York like you play on the block. Once you kind of get your rite of passage, you go to the, the the park, the local park. You try to get some run. You got necks. Some you know b boys yeah, bump yeah, you off. Yeah. You ain't played. Yeah. Or you might you might have five, and it's like, nah, I got necks. I got necks with you. I'm playing. And you just kind of learn how to be a man and just kind of like hold your own on on the on the block, basically, and then at the park. So. I mean, and it's just like with a lot of other places, and you know, in terms of just sports. But New York, I can just imagine some of the sh- the guys that never really got notoriety in terms of playing co- collegially or pro, but had game, mm-hmm. right? Street ball legends. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when we were growing up, the, the, the street ball and one yeah. mm-hmm. DVD and all that type of stuff happening, like you were in the midst of all of that mm-hmm. type of stuff. Like my guy, Sean Crawford, he's, he's a, a trainer now. Um, he's doing well with that. Um, but I grew up with him and he was doing moves when he was like four or five years old. Like I remember one movie called The Roly Poly. And... Mm-hmm. Saturday mornings at the park, it is packed. Like, everybody's there if they know somebody's going to be there. And Sean's like, you know, five, six. At this point, he's now eight. And he's got this move where he just hits the ball down on the ground with his left hand hard, literally rolls on his back to the side. Someone goes to try and grab the ball, and he just hits you with a crossover. And he's gone at eight. (laughs) And we're all, you know, talking about Sean Crawford. He's going to be the next big thing. He's just two blocks away from me. Like, I think we're related somehow. Um... But he ended up playing at Fairfield, and he's now a basketball trainer. He co- coached a couple guys in the league. Um, but you always had somebody like that that was, like, 
legendary. You always think they're going to be next. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something happens or they don't get their opportunity. But there's many guys that could have made it to the league but for whatever reason didn't have the same, you know, avenue to get there. So That's kind of like, you know, me growing up too with football. Because, like, mm -hmm. football is a big thing in Louisiana and just in the South in general. And when you got, you know, guys that you see that are like cold, you know, cold blooded, like just mm -hmm. like, why you didn't make it to the NFL, you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. that's how it happens, man. Like just some guys just don't don't make it, just don't have the opportunity, it's just they mess up, they mess up in school, or mm -hmm. it's just something like that, man. That's everywhere, bro. It's yep. everywhere. A lot of black men, like we just athletic as hell. We yeah. just talented, man. We just it takes a lot to kind of get there, but we are. We, I think we all got it inside of us, you know what I mean? A lot of guys right. got it inside of them, they just can't fulfill it, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Like you said, for whatever reason, maybe. You know, a mistake here or there, yeah. you know, not not being, you know, having somebody to kind of make them stay the course. It's so mm -hmm. many, but it's the little things, though. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, and, and it's not, again, you, I've seen some of the most talented guys not make it to the NFL. You know what I mean? And it's just, again, it's just so many little things. But <clears throat> to kind of get back on your story, kind of tell us how, uh, uh, where, where you went to high school and kind of your involvement in sports at that right. level. So in high school, I went to Edison High School in Queens. Uh, it's probably two buses, maybe 45 minutes from the house. Everybody took a bus, a city bus. Um, so again, at that point, I had learned how to play on the block, straight to the, to the hoop. And then my mom's boyfriend bought us like this basketball hoop that I had to nail up to the garage. The garage was not like strong. So like every time you'd shoot, it started leaning towards the left. So like every 10 shots, you got to go up there and nail it back up so it's straight. A uh, couple times it fall off and you got to go up there and fix it. But long story short, I ended up teaching myself how to play. This funny story. Ninth grade, I tried out. I went to try out. I had no idea what a tryout was because I'm just not introduced to the game. Uh -huh. So they asked me for my physicals, and I'm like, what's that? <laughs> I had no papers. So you got to have physicals before you can try out. Mm -hmm. You know, come back next year. All right, cool. So I continue training, watching the Ultimate Jordan DVD. Seventh grade, <laughs> tried it out again. Still can't make a layup. I'm now nervous. So we're doing layup lines. I'm practicing my backyard layup line. All right, cool. But now we're going full court layup lines. I can't dribble. <laughs> <laughs> so I get down the court, right off the backboard, boom. All right, we'll see you next year. So 11th grade comes around. At this point, I'm, like, super competitive. So I literally wrote down before that summer, I wrote down everybody's name that's on the team, everybody that's possibly going to try out that's nice, was not on the team for whatever reason, was grades and stuff like that. I'm like, all right, he's got a left hand. He can't shoot. He's got a mid-range. He can shoot outside, but he can't dribble. So I'm just working on everything every single day. And finally, 11th grade, I made first cut, second cut. At this point, it's like nine, uh, two, 1998, and I'm like, all right, Jabot Jeans, Jordans, and, you know, I'm 16. I want to, you know, start dating women and stuff like that. So I'm like, all right, you know what? If I make the team, am I actually going to play? Am I going to pursue this and go to college and play ball? Probably not. And I'm like, I don't want to disappoint him. I'm not making the team, and I don't want to make the team and not play and just sit on the bench because I know Chris Aguirre is going to be the starting two guard, and I'm going to be behind him probably two spots. So I just ended up working at the YMCA at that point, but still training, still working, start coaching, and that was it. So, so you you made the conscious decision to say, is it worth me kind of pursuing this if it's not going to be something that's going to uh, pan out long term? Right. So you mentioned somebody on the team. So t tell me some of the guys maybe that that come out of the high school that was probably there while you was there that may have uh, had opportunities to go outside, play outside of high school. There's a couple guys, I don't remember their names, um, like full name, like Don was was pretty good. We had this kid, we called him Brooklyn, because um, Brooklyn basketball players is just different. And he was like 6'4", junior, had handled, jump shot, crossover, didn't make it because he was just involved with other things. I don't know what those things were, but um, just didn't make the team. Um, Chris was a big name, and he played all four years, was a, a three-year varsity guy. 
um, uh, couple couple kids. Um, Myron, Myron is another kid that was pretty good. Um, but some of these kids ended up playing like small college ball. Edison wasn't like a big basketball program across the street. Jamaica High School was, and that was the rivalry. But Jamaica had all all the kids that ended up playing like college ball, like D two, D one, a couple of kids. Um, well, Edison didn't have too many of those guys. But you were in high school, though, uh, the Sebastian Taylor type. Yeah I, yeah, I remember seeing that guy on on magazines. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, Marbury's relationship, and you know, so so you decided to not do that. Kind of tell us what was your plan, kind of after college. What, what you know, what 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 did you decide decide that you were going to go ahead and pursue? So at that point, I had no idea. So they had this thing called I don't know if they still do it, the ASVAB test. So the military comes in. They test everybody, see what your skill sets are, and tells you, all right, well, this is what you could be because you're good at math. So these are the possible jobs that you would possibly succeed at. So I'm like, all right, engineering, all right, that's cool. Um, but I had no idea about college. My mom didn't go to college. My dad didn't go to college. My older brother went to college, but he had left the house early, so I didn't have too much guidance from him on that. And I think it was probably after I graduated, like that winter, January, I realized that, you know, I was coaching. I was trying to make uh, Nassau Community College's JUCO football team. And Joey Perino, one of my good friends, was, you know, training me, putting me through it all, and trying to get me on the team. And he's like, you should go to college. I'm like, how do I get in? And he's telling me the process because he's going to Nassau now. And I started applying and tells me, yeah, you just pick a major. I just picked a random major because I was watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? <laughs> and this civil engineer said he was making $250,000 a year. I'm like, two fifty. My mom's making maybe 30, 40, you know? I'm like, all right, I know 250 is a lot better than 30, 40. Mm -hmm. So I look it up, all right, I'm gonna study civil engineering. But I realized that all the equipment that you gotta buy for those classes are expensive. And we got no money. I'm working though, making like $10 an hour, but I can't afford to buy a $100 calculator making $8 an hour, 20 hours a week. Right. So I was like, all right, I'm dropping this profession. Then went to law enforcement. You know, I'm watching Bad Boys. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, man. I want to be like Will and Barton. And uh, I said, I looked it up. FBI test. You got to learn how to swim. You got to be able to swim in like 50 feet of water. I can't swim. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I can't do that either. I'm not getting shot at for nobody because yeah. I'm only making 45000 a year. Um, but, you know, all due to respect uh, to law enforcement and what they do for us. But I said, I can't, I can't take that risk. And... Um, because I was like, I, I could spot the D-boys. I know what they look like. Like, that's an easy <laughs> that's job. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I could succeed at that. But I wasn't willing to take the risk. So long story short, my then girlfriend, uh, Deb, so she moves down to Florida. We were dating at the time. She moves down to Florida. And I wasn't doing anything, so I left New York because it was cold. Right? <laughs> it's like minus 15 or whatever it was. She's living in West Palm Beach. I go visit her. And the weather's like 80 degrees, nice. You got green grass, palm trees, pool. I said, man, it is nice out here. And she's going to school for nursing or whatever. And um, I wasn't doing anything. And I got on the plane. This is like right after 9-11. My mom's very superstitious. So she gets wind of me getting on the flight. I didn't tell her because I was just, you know, nah. I just do things I don't tell my mom. I'm living <laughs> in the basement. I'm like, I don't got to tell you anything. I'm 21, 22 at the time. And so uh, she finds out about it. She goes, the next time you get on the plane, don't come back home. Oh. I'm like, okay. Well, I guess I'm not coming back home. <laughs> so I live with my cousin for two weeks, packed my stuff up, put in my two weeks notice at the gas company I was working at, went down to Florida. I literally flipped through a couple of books that she had for her intro class, uh, health professions, and I found anesthesiologists and physical therapists. I remember the one time I had an experience with a hand therapist when I was young, and that was it. I just chose physical therapy, and that was the path I was set on. 
So no background in terms of any, you know, high school you was working with sports or, no. you know, be, doing any involvement with that. So you just say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Take a shot. So, um, so tell us, I guess, uh, what was the steps that you said, okay, I, you know, this is what I'm choosing. What steps did you take to kind of start that process? Awesome. Yeah. So similar to like the basketball stuff, and I always go back to that story because it kind of tells you my mental makeup. Like I'm very strategic and I like to plan things out and know how I'm going to attack it. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, I knew I wanted to do physical therapy. So I went to Florida Atlantic, studied exercise science, um, and I saw a poster and it was like, you know, you could train pro athletes. You can train athletes in general. And I was like, man, that looks like fun because I remember training my brothers when I was younger trying to learn how to play basketball. And that's something that I enjoy. It's not anything that I have to think about. I don't, you know, I wanted to have a job that's not a job. It's just a hobby, but I'm getting paid to do it. Right. And so I fell into that and then um, worked at a high school in Manhasset, New York, training lacrosse kids, football kids, while I was taking my prereqs for PT school. Got into PT school and was studying that. And while I was in the class, I had no interest in anything else besides like the ortho, musculoskeletal, and just rehabbing like bone and muscle injuries. I didn't want to learn about anything with the kids, <laughs> about the you know older population or anything like that. Um, and I just fell into that. So that's how I got into the PT path. For me, Dre, I'm going to ask you this, too. I mean, growing up, most times when we heard about either athletic training, physical therapy, anything kind of that's not an athlete, it was kind of looked down upon in a sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Dre, kind of tell me what, what was your perspectives on same thing. If you hear someone wanting to be a trainer or kind of get in that profession. Yeah. What, what you know what, bro? I never even thought about it. Like, yeah. I never, that never even came across my mind to be a trainer. Mm-hmm. In my high school, we didn't. We had one trainer, <laughs> and she wouldn't even a real trainer. Like we had like an ambulance person. Like her dad was the ambulance. Like he he worked for that for the for the hospital, I guess. And she used to tape our ankles up. Like we were like, okay, you a trainer? Okay, cool. I never thought about what a trainer really was until I got to college. Mm-hmm. So you know, thinking about being a trainer, I, I never think about being a trainer because I just never thought about. I never had the 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 I guess the information about the trainer, what right. trainers actually did. You know what I mean? Like they very important. You know right. what I mean? They very very important. But I just never had the the Thinking about okay, well, I want to be a trainer one day because mm-hmm. it's never I never even seen one until I got to college. So yeah, the funny thing is I I didn't know what an athletic trainer was either. So it's like, you know, maybe my last year of PT school, and they have the athletic training department department downstairs. And this guy Kevin Duffy, a good friend of mine, is working with the New York Liberty. Mm-hmm. And I know I want to get into like pro sports or work at a high level. So I started asking him questions and learning things, and I realized that athletic trainers do similar things that PTs do. But I never, like, growing up in the hood, you don't have an athletic trainer. You never heard of it. Um, they're not there at the the tournaments. Like, somebody sprained the ankle. They just get up, wrap it, you back on the court two right, days later. Right. You know, um, so I, I've never seen any of that stuff. So when I was introduced to it, I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, and I remember Kobe hiring Judy, who's a physical therapist, athletic trainer. Uh, Gary Vitey, who's, you know, a popular guy you see on the sidelines. But you're watching the games. You don't, you know that who they are, but you don't really know what they do. Mm-hmm. Besides, you know, helping the guy off the court. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was the same way, Dre. I didn't have any idea who they were, so. So when you decided to say, okay, I, you know, I want to work in the NFL and in this field that I'm now studying, what was the steps from that point? So from that point on, like, as soon as my last year in PT school, I said, all right, I'm about to be done. I got to decide how am I going to get into that that level, that niche, right? And I started, I literally went on the National Athletic Trainers professional footballs list or whatever PFATS is called. So they have a list of all the teams, all their athletic training staff and everybody that's on there. I literally looked at every single team, see how many people were on staff, how many had a physical therapy degree, what other certifications they had. And I literally just had a mental 
jog his memory of who they were, what teams they're on, how long they were in the league. I just did the exact same thing or a little bit more. And that was it. I just, all right, I need to have an athletic training certification because that's going to get me an internship. I know for a fact, and it's not being, it's very humble when I say it, but I'm just confident that when I put my foot in the door, like you're going to have a hard time kicking me out mm-hmm. because I know what I'm bringing to the table. It's just work ethic and just relentless. And so I did the same thing. So I got the internship with Denver, and they offered me a seasonal internship. After the seasonal internship, you know, I, just God planned it all out for me because someone had to leave, and I took his spot. Because I literally could have went to any other team possibly if they offered it to me. But um, Denver, I randomly picked out of, you know, six teams that wanted to interview me. And that was it. So. And, and, and as fate has it, right, the year that you happened to end up in Denver as an intern was the year that they won the Super Bowl. Yep. Yep. Like, again, I, I, I look back on that team and just, you know, uh, obviously just some of the names that stand out, some of the guys – but more importantly, I want to hear from you first. Just kind of just tell me what was the adjustment from what you was doing before you got to the NFL mm-hmm. to then now being in the NFL and seeing it at that level. Right. You know, tell me a little bit about it. Then Dre, I'm gonna just ask you a little bit about that the deep from a defense perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of your opinion and things like that. But just go ahead. So from that perspective, I'm not. I'm not a. I was never like big into celebrities and like you know athletes and fans. Like I'm like they're people. They breathe air the same way I do. They just do something that everyone likes to watch, you know, mm-hmm. sports or entertainment. So I get there, and, you know, the first person I see is like, and this is the only time this ever happened to me, like, Peyton Manning's walking by with his brief, briefcase. So in Denver, the cafeteria is, like, wide open, open floor plan. You've got maybe eight, nine-foot windows, so you can see out to the fields, all green, guys walking through uh, the field to get to the parking lot. So I see Peyton walk by, and I was like, that's Peyton Manning. I was like, wow. And that was it, and it ended. But after that, you see Von Miller, DeMarcus Ware, Emmanuel Sanders, Marius Thomas, and you just got all these names. You're just rolling them off. Um, but for the adjustment for me, like when I have first got there, because I'm coming from, you know, teaching myself how to do everything by myself, not really working with a team environment. You get to Denver, or just in general in the league, or any professional team, now you're part of a team environment. Mm-hmm. So folks don't really want to hear your opinion. They don't really ask you for anything. They just tell you what to do, and it's kind of like you got to really adjust and say, all right, well, I'm here to do my job and nothing more than that. Just do your job exceptionally well, and maybe they'll add a little bit more on your plate. So I had a little hard time adjusting to that because I was always trying to, like, do more to show you that I could do more. But then folks, you know, were a little ruffled by that because it's like, oh, he's just trying to do too much. He's trying to show off. No, I'm not trying to show off. I'm trying to get a job. Right. But, you know, it was misunderstood. Um but it was a fun experience. It taught me a lot about myself. It taught me a lot about the culture, how to develop into a team environment, how to be a better team player. And, and that was a fun experience. So, And, and like I said, it, you, as fate has it, you end up being in with a team that goes on the Super Bowl run and win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, just thinking back to some of those guys that's on the team in defense and even like, uh, you know, somebody like Wade Phillips, Dre kind of tell me a little bit about just some of those guys that you know mm-hmm. or that you saw playing on that defense and even some of uh, the, the the things that you – because I know you, didn't, you never played for Wade, but just some of the guys that you played with that played for Wade and how do they talk about him? Yeah, first of all, like that defense was great. Like they had – I feel like they had everything. Like they had the secondary, they had the linebacker, they, the, they had the D-line. And, you know, that's all you really need for yep. the defense. Man. You, 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 got, you got each layer – Kind of solidify <laughs> you straight, and that's I think we ha- we kind of had that too because uh, 2017 mm-hmm. we had the, we had no more defense too with mm-hmm. the Texans. So I was like, you know what, 
we had the kind of same kind of same format. Even though JJ was hurt, you know, we had Clowning balling, we had Wick balling, you know, we had mm -hmm. Mina Secondary, J Joe, uh, Kareem, you know, we had Q Demps. We had so many guys that can play, and that's the same thing for them. They had so many guys that can play, like like mm -hmm. ball out, and uh, that was that was that was good to watch, man. I, I love watching the boys play in that year, man. They were really doing their thing. Like I said, they had, they had a D line. You have you have a D line, you are gonna be all right. Right. You gonna be all right. They had Malik. They had uh, Wolf. They had Miller. Yep. Miller a dog, like, <laughs> right. how can you block all those guys, right. man? You can't really block all those guys. One so one. it make it make everybody's job a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Each each level got a little bit easier, and they secondary was like they was good, but like mm -hmm. they D line, like they made their job way easier. Yep. So I I remember playing with JJ, playing with Clowney, playing with Whitney, like they make my job way easier when you when you second the quarterback in yep. three seconds. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't got to cover nobody. Nope. So yeah, definitely, man. They had, they had a great defense, bro. And not to mention just coming in with a guy with the leadership of like a Demarcus Ware. Right, yeah. it's almost like the Peyton Manning of the defense. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like just a guy who just like a, you know, from my perspective, never met him, but just a consummate pro that's gonna come and teach guys like a Von Miller mm -hmm. to kind of give me. Can you just kind of maybe speak a little bit to the dynamics you yeah. saw and just how they, you know, how they locked in and practice and just mm -hmm. different little things that kind of got them over the hump to winning? Yeah. So I picked up, <coughs> excuse me. So I picked up on a lot of those things. So I watched how Peyton commanded the offense and how he kind of influenced practice just from. The respect guys have for him. Like, they didn't want to disappoint him by not knowing the plays. Like, I remember guys running the scout team card, and if Peyton wasn't telling you you ran the route the wrong way because you ran seven steps instead of eight, Aqib Tlaib was telling you you ran the route wrong, or Chris Harris was. You know, these guys were, like, detailed technicians. And you would see, like, on the sideline, guys will just kind of just chill, but you look over, and Von Miller's teaching the young guy how to rush, how to place his hands, how to take a step, or make the guy move or miss or whatever. Teach them different moves. And I'm just watching these guys do these little things, and I'm like, wow. It takes the whole team. No one's got an ego. Everyone's teaching each other. Like, DeMarcus Ware's teaching Vaughn things, and Vaughn's teaching DeMarcus Ware things. And I'm like, you got two Hall of Fame outside linebackers teaching each other things. Today. You got tackles worried about them on Sunday. I, I see why now. Yeah. So it's just um, fun. It was just a good experience. Everybody's competitive. There were always some type of fights. The energy was always high. It's Chris Harris versus Emmanuel Sanders talking all day. Oh, man. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, nonstop. And it's just the whole season was like that. It just never let up. And I can just, I mean, that again, that competitive nature between those guys and just getting the best out of everybody every day, that just raises the level of uh, just, you know, being ready on Sundays. Mm -hmm. So with, you know, someone that may be looking to get into being an athletic trainer, Coming in as an intern, kind of just tell a little bit about your roles and responsibility when you first uh, got in. So at that point, you're doing all the heavy work. So you're setting the field up, you know, pulling the pumpers out, um, making sure guys are hydrated. Every team's got different roles, but that was our primary role, filling the fridges with water, um, Gatorade, you know, taking things off the cooler. If something breaks, you fix it. Assisting in the training room with the rehab, you know, guys that need, you know, ice massage or STEM, game ready. You know, just be available at all times for those guys. Um, so I would say, you know, for anyone that's looking to do that, you know, to be an intern, you got to come in, like I mentioned before, with that mindset, you're part of a team. You're not trying to outshine anyone else. You're competing against yourself, basically. Like, if you came in one day and you just did a decent job, the next day your goal is to try and do your job a lot better and a lot more efficiently. So, like, setting up the field takes, you know, if you're first time doing it, it might take you a couple hours. But as you build a system and a hustle and a work ethic, you realize, all right, every single little step that I take is going to save me 30 seconds, and those 30 seconds is going to cut that two hours down to maybe, you know, 45 minutes. Right. So it's just, you know, you just kind of learn how to do those things, just kind of work together and just figure it out. So it sounds like you're saying coming in, you got to be, you know, coachable, focused, you know, looking to learn. And what about, because I know when I first got in, the hours was crazy. 
I was an intern, so mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm talking about from before the sun come up to the sun's going down. Yeah. So kind of giving a, a idea of what they're walking into. Right. When it, when you talk about time. Yeah. So for an athletic trainer, it's the most underappreciated job in football. I, you know, I take that back because video and equipment, all those guys. But there's always somebody that's unappreciated. But the athletic trainers, like Greek, that's what we call him, Steve Antonopoulos. He's there every single day at three o'clock in the morning, and he's doing the same workout, same time, same parking spot. Same towel, same TV channel, like clockwork. And that's the kind of diligence and kind of routine that you have to have. And if you want to be successful at it, you're going to have to come in early before everyone else is there. You know, have a smile on your face, good energy, work hard. From the time you step foot in the building to the time you leave. You leave it all in the tank. Take care of yourself when you get home mentally. Come back and do it all over again. You just got to be able to repeat over and over again. The biggest thing is consistency. I always tell, used to tell my interns that. You can't have a great day and then come back the next day and have an average or low day. Because at the end of the day, you just average. Mm-hmm. What's up, Hype family? Thanks again for listening to another episode of What's the Hype podcast. But if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenerships. So you don't even have to have a big audience. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Every day has got to be good. Or if you can, every day has got to be great. Because at the end of the day, that consistency is what's going to get you hired and get you noticed. Because you're constantly doing the same thing over and over again. You're predictable. Right. So... So, and how can you relate that, um, in a sense, Dre, to the same thing when you're talking about being a professional athlete? Yeah, man. Uh, but back, like you said, man, they they really unappreciated. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I I I try to take care of the athletic trainers, man. You know, I, I say thank you, say you know you're welcome, you know all mm-hmm. stuff like that. I gave like little Christmas gift every now, every now <laughs> and then because I know I know they need it. You know what I mean? Especially mm-hmm. the trainer, they ain't making no money. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, let me try to you know give them something at least because like, I show them I appreciate them. Right. But uh, it's kind of like the NFL, man. Like. Like a player, like you, especially a rookie, especially a seven round pick or a free agent. You know what I mean? You gotta come in, you gotta grind it out. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you're not trying to embarrass nobody, but you're not trying to hurt nobody. You're not trying to right. go extra hard, but you got you got extra hard, slick. Like you, you gotta do the most to make right. the team. And that's how I, I came in a seven round pick, so I'm, I gotta do the most, really. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I ain't trying to hurt nobody, but if you're in my way, <laughs> I'm gonna have to right. run through you for you know what I mean? Because right. that's how it is, man. Like they're not expecting you to do to be to be great. You know what I mean? They expect mm-hmm. you to be a good player. They expect you to be a uh, basically a uh, we call them guys. They come just for camp. We call those guys. They come camp in for camp. Body. Oh, camp, camp bodies. Body. Yeah, yeah. They think you're a camp body. I'm like, I ain't yeah. no camp body. I'm gonna show you how to play. <laughs> but, but it's like that feeling, man. It's like I gotta grind it out, man, because like, they're not expecting me to be great. So mm-hmm. I gotta do what I gotta do. Just like for a trainer, like you coming in, you intern, like man, nobody really respecting you, especially yeah. the older guys. Like they're yeah. looking at you, like man, I've seen, I've seen some bad stuff mm-hmm. done to these trainers, bro. Yep. And I know you, you cool. Say, I, I bet they wouldn't do it to you because you know you're just a different kind of person. Right. You know what I mean? But some of these, some of these trainers, they just mm-hmm. kind of get, get got. You know what yeah. I mean? I didn't seen it, <laughs> so uh, I commend you for that, bro. That's that's tough, man. I didn't know that about you, but that's tough, man. Being a, a, a intern trainer, yeah. like that's tough, man. Because I've been in the league and I've seen what they do to the trainers. And, uh, yeah. That's what's up, bro. Appreciate it. Uh, and this on, it's on, it's unfortunate. Like you said, Dre, I've seen it, mm-hmm. um, especially just on the intern level. I think it's just the the the, the hierarchy of how NFL mm-hmm. kind of works. It is yeah. when you at the lower end, it's it's not a whole lot of guys showing respect. Mm-hmm. But you'll come across a guy like an Andre Howe mm-hmm. or like a Jonathan Joseph or just guys that are just nice to people. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that just for me coming as an intern again, I'm 
I'm in this locker room and walking into the space with all these different guys, they know immediately, like, you know, are you somebody that they're willing to build a relationship with or are you just somebody that, you know, that ain't going to be here too long? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's navigating that. So I can relate to that. But tell me about you getting in the building and knowing, okay, I'm, a, you know, this is how I'm in here. What's my plan from this point, not only to stay around, but to create a career and to, to navigate, navigate the NFL? My, my first thing was always, you know, treating people like people. Like, I, I never try to treat anyone better or worse than anybody else. It didn't matter who it was, but when you first get in the league, they always tell you, all right, well, this guy is treated like this, everyone else mm-hmm. is treated. Which I, I get that a little bit, but at the same time, I'm going to show everyone the same level of respect. And for me, when I got in there, I said, I'm going to take everything like a challenge. Like, I wanted to have the most difficult task, and I'm going to make it look easy, because I know everyone can't do that. Like, I'm going to just outwork myself, and, you know, if you're with me, you're with me. If you're not, then, you know, so be it. So, like, for example, I had to do, like, weigh-ins. And, Dre, you could attest to this. Like, guys hate the weigh-in. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> you weigh me in. If I'm under or over, it's going to cost me money. So I got guys like Kevin Vickerson, who I just spoke about my buddy uh, earlier today. Kevin Vickerson, who's a D-tackle. And I got um, uh, Pot Roast. Uh, I forgot his name. Terrence Knighton. <laughs> yeah. So I remember the year yeah. before, they were saying that he had, you know, this might be a myth, but he has spent, like, $400,000 worth of fines for being overweight because he's, like, 40 pounds overweight for like maybe 10 weeks out the season. And so I come into the locker room and I'm sitting down by the scale. Peyton walks in. I say, Peyton, when you get a chance, you mind stepping on the scale? And someone looked at me and said, he's not getting on the scale. I said, okay. Two minutes later, he walks over, steps on the scale. And that's, from that point on, guys respect me. He's like, wow, you asked Peyton Manning to get on the scale and he got on it. And, you know, Terrence Knight and those guys, same. They give me a fight because I'm not getting on the scale. I'm like, Terrence, all right, when you get a chance, no problem, you get on the scale. He goes, oh, really? I said, yeah. You're getting on scale. And I was just cool with it. It's like, I wasn't, like, being an asshole about it. I wasn't trying to, like, yeah, I'm not owning nothing about it. I got a job to do. You got a job to do. I'm going to make sure I get my job done. So I always aimed to get 90% of the roster. That was my goal. And I wasn't accepting anything less than that, even if I had to chase guys down during my lunch break. Yeah. And so guys noticed that, and, you know, um, I think that was one of the things that they noticed. Plus, I was consistent. I was doing the same thing every day. Right. So. And I can relate to that, again, like, like I said, being in the – being in that position or being in a position um, where you you got to navigate because, you know, again, guys are going to respect how you move. So um, doing the same thing, I had to do like curfew checks, right? So, again, if, I, if, if I'm if i not consistent in what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, guys going, you know, I, I ain't got to, mm-hmm. you know, I ain't got to respect you. But I just was consistent and respectful to guys and saying, hey, you know, you got to be in your room. I'm going to check it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I'm going to do my job. So. Just being able to kind of establish that and just kind of get respect at the same time. It was just, I, I didn't care who you were. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't necessarily, like, I wasn't, a, you know, celebrity. Or, I, I, but also I want to speak to this because when you got in league, how old were you? I was 28 probably. Yeah. And I was I, and I was close to, I was almost 30. So being a little bit older, right, mm-hmm. opposed to some of these younger guys that mm-hmm. may come in, you know, again, they looking up to these guys there fans mm-hmm. you know I, I was older so it wasn't really about that I, I had a wife you know what mm-hmm. i mean i mm-hmm. you know i had a family to take care of so it wasn't really about that so i can totally understand that yeah. um and i can relate to that so i i definitely get mm-hmm. that but let's talk about okay you being an athletic tra- training intern and then being able to what happened after after that season obviously super bowl season mm-hmm. what happened following that season so after that again i just trying to take on more responsibility so i learned how to how to do x-rays because a good friend of mine josh hartman was leaving so i learned how to take x-rays so now I'm the athletic training assistant, physical therapy assistant, and I'm also doing x-rays now. So guys get hurt, come off the field, all right, Billy, take the x-rays for us. Take the x-rays, send them to the doc. I also learn how to do or manage the forklift because Gatorade comes in, 
You got to call someone and wait for them to put it up. So I learned how to drive a forklift. I'm, I'm coming from the city. I ain't from the farm. No, I've never seen a forklift before. <laughs> on, you know, Home Depot maybe. So I'm learning how to do that. And so I just put more things on my plate and just started learning more. And um, after that, it was like, you know, I had conversations. And I'm, my mind is very progressive. I like doing things that make sense, that are very strategic. And some of the rehab, you know, like I mentioned before, I came in with ideas and they weren't taken well. So I came with the ideas and constantly trying to find different ways. So finally I figured it out, all right, I love training. I love rehab. How can I bridge the gap? Because I noticed that there's a gap. There's too many times that guys go in, and I'm not saying this happened to any of the team that I was on, but too many times I've noticed in any level, guys go to the weight room, they do a set of exercises. Athletic trainer has no idea that they just did legs, but they come in and just torture their legs for rehab because you got to get stronger. And I'm like, well, there's ways to get stronger without, you know, taxing it. You know, there's different ways to do it. And I tried to ask for a, not a promotion, but I tried to ask for a different role. Can I become like a bridge the gap kind of guy, maybe performance therapist or whatever? And the response that I was given was, like, we're, not, we're not strength coaches. We will never do that. So that's it. I was like, oh, okay. All right, cool. I'll just, you know, settle with this. And at that point, I was like, all right, I'm rather, I'd rather be home and not in Denver where there's not too many people like me. I'm not excited to be here. You know, my wife's not excited to be here. So let me find a different avenue. And again, God sent me another message randomly at 1 o'clock in the morning one morning. I went on Indeed. The Jets had a job. And I just applied for it. And that was it. <laughs> so so you went from Denver to, to, to New York. So at that point, I applied for the job with the Jets. Okay. So I'm interviewing with the Jets, and we're talking and, you know, negotiations, and numbers start changing, and... Um, Luke Richardson, the then head strength coach with Denver, was there. He left and went to the Texans. And so uh, Chicago got wind of me also leaving, so they also uh, called me for an interview. So I was interested, went and visited. But they were giving me, like, a short deadline, and I don't like making decisions under pressure. Mm-hmm. Like, it's got to either come to you freely or just be patient and wait. God will give you the answer. And I said, you know what? I, I, I just can't take it. I'm not ready to just make that decision. I know nothing about the city. I'm not just going to pick up and leave and just go somewhere and have zero information. So long story short, it was between the Jets, Texans. Luke was willing to wait for me, and he had a position I wanted because Denver didn't want to create that position. So he said, no, I just, just come over here to Houston, and you can work on both sides. You can work with the guys that are coming back after they're injured. You could be in the weight room. You know, we talked about it, like the athletic training life. And I'm like, why would I not be a coach and, you know, be treated more respectfully? Unfortunately, that's the way it is. But you're treated better. The pay is a little bit better. Hours are better. Work-life balance is better. That's a no-brainer. I'm like, if he's willing to wait for me and the Jets weren't able to figure out the money and they just kept on fluctuating, I said, all right, well, I'm going to Houston. The weather's nice. It's by the water. I can go to Mexico if I want on the weekend. Florida's right there. Um, the food is nice. The houses are cheap. So, nah, we're going to Houston. So I waited. God waited for me and said, all right, here we go. So March came and I'm gone. So when you accepted the position to come to Houston, was it exactly what you were um, talking about in terms of the role and responsibilities of what you want to be able to do between both departments? No, I think it was working because there was no role like that in the league. So we had to work through some things. And I think some people had that vision, like they spoke about it, but not everyone was on the same page. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know that. So I came in thinking that this is what I was going to do. But, you know, people across the hall didn't know that that's what I was there for. And so it just came, you know, this battle between, no, I'm doing this, you're doing that, instead of why don't we just work together? It doesn't have to be you got this and I got that. Because at the end of the day, we're working for one team. 
the athlete is one body, so it doesn't make sense that I take his legs and you take his arms. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk, like, you know? So just kind of explain a little bit about what your responsibility was that once you kind of came in and they kind of figured it out, what, what was kind of, what was your role? So at that point, I'm assisting in the weight room, so setting up, um, watching lifts of guys doing things incorrectly, just basically assisting at that point. Luke's running the show. Um, what else did we have? So, uh, oh, so catapult was another thing I had. So GPS, sports science um, was put on me. And that was another challenge, so just teaching myself how to do that, how to read it, how to understand it, um, why do injuries happen, and just try to figure out a model that works with our coaching style and practice and what we're doing in the weight room to kind of mitigate some of these injury risks. Um, and that was about it. It was just two clear-cut roles and responsibilities. I didn't get a chance to do too much of the return play. Kayvon Webster was a guy that came in, and I worked with him for a little bit. But, again, it was just, you know, a fight between, no, I'm going to take him and do this, you do this, but you don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what you're doing. And, you know, um, so it, it, it didn't work out as efficiently as we'd like it to. So, Okay, so Luke. Seeing what you were doing with the Broncos, like I gotta have this guy. Yeah. So you was really doing your thing. Mm-hmm. So you was doing what you had to do to kind of mm-hmm. get promoted, but you wouldn't even try to get promoted. You no. wouldn't try to be a string coach. You no. just were doing your job. Right. That's what's up, man. Yeah. And Luke, Luke had looks very progressive. So Luke's seeing the vision and mm-hmm. coming from Exos. That's how it is. Yeah. It's, there's no departments. It's just one unit. And him and I had conversations many a times, and he knew that that was my passion was uh-huh. to try to be able to do both. And you know, thank God for Luke, and he hooked it up for me and took yeah. care of us. Yeah, Luke's a good guy, man. Real good guy, guy, man. Great guy. Um, and I, I wanted to kind of touch on things how it kind of come full circle because you talked about teaching yourself all these different things, right? So then you get to the league, and, and well, you're in a position now where you, you know, you got to learn too. Mm-hmm. And being a witness of you figuring out that system, it just kind of all falls uh, in place with what you, what you, you didn't, you didn't allow certain things to limit you. You was like, hey. If it's got if it, if it takes me figuring this out on my own, I'm gonna figure it out. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of the message, and just in general, just you know, if if you're willing to put the work in and you commit it, and you're gonna say, hey, by by any means necessary, then on the other side of that is just opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, again, from a distance, seeing seeing saw you when you got there, and was like, man, this guy is, you know, he's figuring it out. I don't know exactly what it is he's doing, <laughs> but I guess you didn't know either. But you were just trying to <laughs> right, figure it out. Right. But, Dre, talk about, because you had the opportunity to kind of interact and when he came and worked with him, you know, talk about a little bit about some of the things that you kind of encountered working with him and mm-hmm. maybe some things you saw. Because I've seen a lot of players, like, start to kind of pull him away for individual things and questions mm-hmm. and a little bit of training, lifting here. So, you know, I saw that. So I wanted to know maybe from a player perspective, what, you know, what, what were some of those things? Yeah, like, like y'all said at first, y'all, like y'all said at first, when y'all came in, y'all wouldn't like, oh, this star player, so I'm going to talk to this star player. Y'all was like, Man, you, yeah. you're, you're a normal guy just like him. Like, the mm-hmm. seven-round pick, the same thing as J.J. Watt. I'm going to try the same. Mm-hmm. And we respected that. Mm-hmm. Like, self-consciously, we respected that. Like, yeah. we, we probably didn't know what we were really, we were really doing, but, like, we are like, hmm, them two guys, them guys are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So that made people, you know, come to y'all because y'all right. was cool guys. Y'all didn't act like these other people that, that come up to us that, that, you know, some people that work there. I was like, oh, I'm going to treat this guy better because he better than him in football. Right. Like, nah, we, y'all mm-hmm. ain't doing that. That's why we gave y'all respect. Mm-hmm. But back to you though, like you, you like I said, that made people want to come to you because you, you was real. That's real to us. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of these guys come from the hood, basically, right. and we see that. We see, and we, a lot of black men is not in the league like that. Mm-hmm. So when you see a black man that's that's real with you, that's gonna tell you the truth, you want to go to those guys. You want those guys around. You want those guys on your team. Right. And it's not it's not that many guys like that in the league, man. So when you oh. see you find guys like you and y'all too, you need to you need to be around them. You need you need that, that kind of energy, man. Cause mm-hmm. that, that that was real, bro. I had a lot of conversations with you. Me, me and you just talking, bro. Like, right. man, you know what? I like that. 
You yep. need some realness in your life, you know what yep. I mean? Because a lot of that stuff don't be real, man. Nope. And I know it for sure. Yep. <laughs> and it don't be real, bro. So when you got two guys that's real, you're going you gonna, to you gonna gravitate to those guys, man. Mm-hmm. For sure, man. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I agree with, with everything you're saying, but I saw it from a perspective uh, just kind of seeing guys just like, yeah, like you said, mm-hmm. they can just relate to it. it. It's a lot of guys that get uh, s- s- smoke blue up their butts, you know what I mean, just mm-hmm. because of, you know, their abilities on the field, but nobody's really being honest with them. And mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, I'm grown. I was, I didn't have time. And much like I said, I saw with Billy, it ain't, I don't have time. I want the best for you. And mm-hmm. however I can help you, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go above and beyond. So with those experiences, obviously, you know, you're in a place now where things didn't kind of work out mm-hmm. for you there. Tell us a little bit about what that kind of have pushed you into and what are you kind of, what are you doing now? What's the plans? So, so again, you know, I, Whatever, not for whatever reason, but God always sends you a message somehow, some way. So I'm, you know, they, the Texas let me go, and I, I was upset for maybe a day. But I was like, nah, because every time something doesn't go my way, it's because God has something planned for me, you know, something bigger. And so I'm getting on a flight. I'm going to visit, you know, Oklahoma City, just a casual visit, no interview or anything like that, just to see how they operate. Great visit. Um, and so I leave that, come back to Houston for a couple days, and I go to Washington to visit on like a walkthrough interview, if you want to call it that. Um, I watch how things operate there, and I'm like, all right. So I know how things were and, you know, previous experiences. I'm just comparing them subconsciously. And I'm like, I can feel energy. I know what energy feels like. And I get on a flight, and I kid you not, this is probably the most clear message I ever got from upstairs. And he, God goes, you know, just open your phone, take these notes down. And he goes, I want you to start a business. Think of some names. I want you to use your name. And so I'm, you know, writing my name down, Voltaire. And Voltaire's not even my name. That's, you know, my brother's dad's last name. And so this, my dad wanted me, this is a sidetrack, my dad wanted me to change my last name to his. I was like, no, nah, I'm not changing. This is my name. This is who I am. But not realizing that this is the name that I'm actually going to carry with me the rest of my life, even into business. So I write it down. It's like BJV. No, that's not a name. No acronym can go with that. That's, you know, so I write down Voltaire. And it's like, what if you put just Volt? All right, Volt. That's, it's got like a ring to it. And then it's like, you got to brand it, but you just got to stick out. So he goes, what about a lightning bolt? Bolt, lightning bolt, that's easy. And I just started jotting this all down. So long story short, I said, all right, well, I'm just going to provide this service that guys can't really get anywhere. It's a, it's a premium. Because most of the time when your trainer's drinking a test tube, you got to go to see your chiropractor in one location. You got to go to see your trainer or strength coach at another location. You got to get your massage therapist somewhere else. And I said, I can do the dry needling, I can do the cupping, I can do the training, I can do the physical therapy. Why wouldn't I provide that for everyone, you know, at a premium price? I'm providing that professional athletes, busy business executives, kids, whoever needs it. Because a lot of time in the healthcare system, or even at pro teams, you're sharing time with somebody else. So they're thinking about the next appointment they got, the next meeting they got, the next person's walking through the room, the room, excuse me. And you're like in a rush. You're not getting the care that you need. So I said, this is what I'm going to provide. So I just ran with Volt and Volt Performance Physical Therapy and mobile, and I just traveled to where I need to, to where I got to work with. So with that being said, I know that you kind of took a step with, you know, maybe helping one guy, but how did that thing kind of, how did it kind of snowball into like, you know, you might be the hottest name in the city right now when it when it comes to working with some of the big name guys. Mm-hmm. So kind of just tell how that. And again, I, I'm a strong believer in what God has for you is for you. So mm-hmm. it's you know, there's no way anybody can stop that. But mm-hmm. kind of talk about just kind of how that happened, and then it just kind of push you to kind of really go ahead and just t- and get it started. So again, like Dre said, like I'm just real, like same way you are. Like I'm not I'm not looking to like be popular. I'm not looking to be cool. I was told that before. Like you're too much like the players. 
I'm sorry, that's the way I was born. <laughs> like, have you looked at my skin and my hair? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm like them. <laughs> but um, I won't say who said that. But um, uh, where was that? So, yeah, so I'm just, like, you know, texting guys, letting them know, you know, it's a pleasure working with you, and, you know, I won't be there if you don't see me, blah, 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 but let's keep in touch because I care about everybody, you know. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to be a professional athlete or a big name, rich, poor. Like, I care about everybody as God's kids. That's, that's what I do. And so I'm just texting guys, seeing how they're doing, and one guy reached out to me, let's, you know, let's grab something to eat, you know, whatever. And so I go to his house, and we're just chatting, and he's in the swing, and I'm like, you know, oh, you had surgery? He goes, yeah. I go, where's you doing your rehab at? I'm not. Oh, no, 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 no. And I'm saying this because I care. I'm like, this is a key person. Like, as a, this is your job. And I know you wouldn't get paid to do it. If you don't take care of that arm, like, you won't be able to do your job at a high level. You will not be continuing to get paid, you know? And so I'm talking to him, and randomly he just said, you know, what if you just did my rehab? I'm not thinking about this. And this is before I got on my flight to, to Washington. And he goes, what if you do my rehab? Okay, yeah, let's think about it, and we'll figure it out. And then I text someone else that was looking for a physical therapist and told him I wasn't going to be there, but I can help you find a therapist, so I'm available to you if you want to meet. He was out of town, came back, sat at his house, met, and he said, no, I want you to train and just travel with me full time. Okay, no problem. And then after that, they bring one person along, that one person brings another person along. Before you know it, it's like, you know, 15, 20 people that are on your call log that you've got to schedule sessions for. So, you know, it was crazy how it all worked out. And, you know, we're still trying to work things out right now. But, um, you know, it's exciting, you know, when God has a plan for you. You don't know what that plan is, but you know it's going to be, you know, a great one. So, you know, somebody might be looking from the outside like, man, you know, and you, you know, you know, longer in the NFL. So they look like, you know, he must be some type of, you know, loser or just kind of look at it in a negative light. Mm-hmm. But, you know, me walking that path myself, man, I, you know, this is kind of put in a space where, you know, uh, uh, un- unlimited opportunities. Right. When we're working in those type of environment, we're, we're, we're laser focused. I mean, mm-hmm. we're very similar to what the coaches are doing. Like mm-hmm. we kind of we've got a routine and we're doing this day in and day out. But stepping out of it, man, it's really and God is really showing that he'll take care of you no matter what. So leaving that, putting you in the space of uh, fulfillment and purpose, something that just kind of really connected mm-hmm. to you. It's, you know, so he's you know, I can see that. So I don't know what the long term plan is, but if you maybe want to speak to that and maybe where you know, the information could be found and, you know, what your what your long-term plan is. But if you want to speak to that, then that would be good. Yeah, so long-term, my plan is to probably just, well, short-term, is to do this for a few years and see where it goes. Um, I'm one of those people, I'm very nomad, nomadic in, in my thought and how I move around. So I'm even learning how to day trade now. So it's less stress. Well, day trading is stressful, but less stress with <laughs> than football is. When, Dre, you can attest, is being in the building the whole time and you just, mm-hmm. that's all you're doing. You don't see anything else. You can't really enjoy life. It's just high stress. You know, everyone's got an opinion about something. And, you know, the energy is just not, you know, anything you want to be part of. So long term, like for me, I said, you know what? I'm going to just do this short term and just kind of walk through the, the footsteps that's laid out for me, see what God has planned for me. Um, I'm loving what I'm doing right now. It's exciting. Um, just meeting with doctors, meeting with different people, and just trying to get my name out there, letting them know that I'm available for the different services that I provide. And then um, who knows? I, I may open a, a shop up. Um, or I may just do this because it's no overhead. It's a lot easier. I can just go wherever. If I need to go to Italy, I can go to Italy. If I need to go to L.A., I can go to L.A. Um, yeah, but information's online. I'm still building the website right now, so just a landing page. So voltperformancetherapy.com or on IG, volt.pt. Um, and that's it. So. Man, like, like, like you said earlier, man, like when I retired from football, 
the whole world opened up to me. Mm-hmm. I seen what I wanted to do. I seen what I could do. I seen what I, I had. I had unlimited potential. You know what I mean? Because I finally was able to, to see and think about me. Mm-hmm. I listened to Jim Rome. He said, "You need to work on yourself hard and work on your job." Yeah. You know what I mean? A, a lot of guys don't realize that. Even though you're making a lot of money playing football, you're not you're not having you're not building yourself up at all. Mm-hmm. And when you're not doing that, you just there. You just you for them. And when and then when you retire, when they <laughs> release you and let you go, you're like, what, what I'm gonna do now? Like, mm-hmm. what am I gonna do? Mm-hmm. And it's scary. Like, it's scary, man. If you don't know what to do, like, what am I gonna do in my life now? Since I've been playing football all my life, really, I've been playing football all my life. Mm-hmm. Like since I was eight years old. So when I retired, or those six months I was, they held me out. Those six months they held me out. That made me wake up. I said, hey, Dre, you need to start working on Dre. Because if you've been working on Dre, you're going to be down bad, bro. Mm-hmm. You're going to be down bad because you don't know no better, man. Yeah. All you know is football. Mm-hmm. So if you don't learn nothing else, you're going to be down bad. <laughs> and you're yeah. going to be sad. You gonna be, that's why a lot of these guys would be doing drugs yeah. and doing some crazy yeah. stuff because they, they don't know who they are, man. And football did it on purpose. Yeah. It kind of make you stay in that little, that little bubble. Like, yep. no, just keep, keep playing, keep playing. Mm-hmm. Just don't, don't, don't read no books now. Keep playing, keep playing. Don't do this, <laughs> keep your playing. Playbook. Keep your, get in your playbook. Yeah. And you, you have to because you want to stay on the team. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's so much that you got to do to continue to be a football player that you, you can't really do stuff for yourself. Mm-hmm. Even, even in the offseason, because like myself, I was like just trying to, I'm training, I'm training, I'm training, I'm trying to get back on this field so I can keep my spot. Mm-hmm. They, they, they draft somebody, they draft somebody, they're going to pick up a couple more, couple more people, so I got to make sure I, I'm straight. Yep. So you're not really worrying about yourself, man. Mm-hmm. Even though you're worrying about yourself, like your physical body, you're not worrying about your your, your mental, man. You, mm-hmm. And that's what the most important thing it is right now. I feel like I go play, I go play right now because I'm, I'm mentally tougher now. Mm-hmm. I'm mentally stronger now. Mm-hmm. I know I can pick up the playbook and, okay, I got that. I can go play. Right. But I know that what it'll, what it'll do to my body and what it'll do to me. You know what I mean? What it'll do to my mental me- mentality too. Like, these people pretty much own you. They yep. own your body. They mm-hmm. own you. So you got to do what they tell you to do. Yep. And if you hurt, bye. Yep. If you can't play, bye. Yep. Ain't no, okay, we're going we gonna, we gonna to keep you on. Uh-uh, you gone. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of guys don't realize, man. Like, at least take, take some time in the offseason to kind of build your mind up, bro. You have yeah. to, man. Because once they let you go, once you're done, that's you're it. done, man. And you have no more... Oh, you have nothing else besides football. Mm-hmm. And guys don't realize that until it's over with. Then they try to scramble, try to f- figure out something, then they kind of bust because right. you don't know what to do, man. Yeah. So definitely. Man, I think you said it all, man. That that pretty much explained it. That's the purpose of this podcast. We want to be able to have guys start thinking early, like, mm-hmm. you know, what can I do? Although I have the passion and may have the skills or the talent to play or to succeed, but also just be open and, and, and grow because there are so many other opportunities because, again, this you know certain things restrict you and, you know, for those that are in the position of leadership, a lot of times they have a purpose to try to keep you locked in on certain things to get their goal or get the goal accomplished. But in general, when when, when your time ends, man, like what 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 do you go from here? So I want to mm-hmm. commend you, first of all. Um, I know the future is bright. You know, we talk, we have a lot of conversations. I know that, you know, again, the, we got you first, right? So, but this, <laughs> this won't be the last one. I, I'm going to be able to have this saying I was the first guy to see – we were the first guys to see this thing happen before, you know, he's everywhere. So, man, we thank you for coming in. We thank you for your time, man. We know that the future is bright. Thank you again. Appreciate it, fellas. For sure, bro. Thanks for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and comment. Follow us on all platforms at What's the Hype Podcast. I've been grinding all my life, yeah. all my life. Been grinding all my life, yeah. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.